May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In this Eurovision season, not that I watched it last night, I have to admit, it seems right to begin with the words of a song. All you need is love, love, love is all you need. Though I'm not sure the Beatles ever entered Eurovision, did they? All you need is love. Is that it? What about doctrinal purity? What about the 39 Articles of Religion? Or the Wittenberg Confession? Or even the Nicene Creed come to that? Surely they're more important in our life as Christians than just love, aren't they? It appears not in our Gospel reading today. I give you a new commandment, said Jesus. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. By this, not conformity to the 39 articles of religion, not by conformity to any other doctrine of the church, but by love will people know that we are Jesus' disciples by love. Not just begrudgingly putting up with others who irritate us a bit, difficult as that might be at times. No, love. Love as Jesus loves us. I'm reminded of that old story of someone asking Jesus how much he loved them. This much, said Jesus, as he stretched out his arms and died. That much love, which Jesus shows to us, we are called to show to others. All you need is love. In this week, when my old theological college principal announces he's leaving the Church of England because of his experience of his experiences of being supported or not, while he was effectively bullied out of his last post. Although, of course, no, none of us knows exactly what happens and there are many sides to the story. Wounds have been opened up in many people, lay and ordained alike, in how they've been treated by the church. As a bit of a hint, it's not anything to do with love, it's more to do with bullying and mistreatment. All you need is love, but as the black-eyed peas once sung, where is the love? Does the church truly show Jesus' love to other people, reaching out, welcoming people in? Or are barriers put in the way? We will support you and love you, we say, but only if you sign up to this or that or the other. We will support you if only you deny who you are. We will support you if only you play by our rules. We will support you as long as you jump through all these hoops. We will support you as long as you tithe. We will support you as long as this, that or the other. If you don't play by our rules, well, 
we have our every right to mistreat you. Well, that, that's not what Jesus is saying, is it? That's not what we hear in this gospel. We see this dilemma being played out in the reading from the Acts of the Apostles. The question of food laws, or to put it another way, whether you needed to become Jewish with all that that meant in order to be a Christian. Did you, if you were male, have to be circumcised? Did you have to stop wearing polycotton shirts, even if they do mean less ironing? Not sure polycotton existed at that point, but you get the point with clothing of mixed fibres. <clears throat> Did you have to stop eating shellfish and bacon because they too were banned in the book of Leviticus? Did you have to conform to all of those rules in order to be a follower of Jesus? Or to push it even more extreme, was there actually any hope for someone who wasn't born a Jew because, quite simply, well, they wouldn't fit in. We don't want your sort around here. We only want those who are used to how we live. Peter was speaking to other Christians about what had happened to him. They'd heard something weird happening. Peter, you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church. Peter, eloquent preacher, leader of the church on earth. Peter, apostle to the Jews. Peter, keeper of tradition. Peter, who had suddenly gone out of his mind, going off to eat with the Gentiles, and maybe even worse than just eating with them. He'd eaten their food, their food, things like shellfish, things like bacon, things that you weren't allowed to eat if you were a good Jew. But he'd done it. It reminds me of when I was living in, ministering in Cornwall, when I almost, I accidentally almost ate a pasty which had been made in Devon. <laughs> Recoiling in horror, what had nearly happened? What was it? What did they put in there? How did they make it? It wasn't a pasty. How can I possibly eat something like that? <laughs> but this is so much worse, even than putting cream before jam on a cream tea. The Devonish way, as opposed to the Cornish way, of jam first. Lots of jam, speaking about generosity, then lots of cream on top. The proper way of doing it. The only way of doing it. But eating with unclean people. Top it all, eating unclean animals and birds. What was Peter playing at? And saying that he'd done it because... God had commanded it in a vision? Ludicrous. How could Peter of all people make such a terrible mistake and then claim that God told him to do it? You can almost imagine them saying, we don't mix with their sort, or even worse.
suspect Peter was wondering the same, what was happening in his life, that suddenly he was doing that which he'd been told never to do. And then Peter finishes this account by describing how the Holy Spirit came upon these people, these Gentiles, just as it had upon the Jews at that first Pentecost. God was truly moving, blessing, anointing even those who had not become Jews, showing that it was not necessary to be a Jew in order to be a Christian, in order to receive the Holy Spirit. That was the clincher. They realised God really has blessed, loved, welcomed, embraced the Gentiles. The other Christians acknowledged that. There were no hoops to jump through. I'm reminded, as I am so often, of the account elsewhere in Acts of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Someone unexpectedly comes, discovers something of Jesus and is baptised, comes to faith. No obstacles in the way, no other things to do, just yes, Lord, I believe, and that's it. Here and now, we are called in the Gospel reading to love others as Jesus has loved them. We are called to be heralds of the good news. We are called to proclaim healing, love, welcome, forgiveness of sins. We are called to go out to show others that they are truly loved by God. No matter where they are, no matter who they are, no matter where they've come from, no matter what they've done, no matter what has happened in their life, they are truly loved by God. In a world where, to many people, God and Jesus Christ are nothing more than swear words, we are tasked with a job of making Jesus known. Not by standing on street corners with placards proclaiming people are going to hell unless they repent of their sins. Not by cutting ourselves off from others by claiming we are the only true Christians. Not by requiring massive conformity to things before letting people through the door. No, definitely not. Rather, by love, reaching out, showing people that they matter to us and therefore that they matter to God too. Taking an interest in people, supporting our community, standing up for those who are struggling. One of the many things, and there were many, which attracted me to this post here is the work of the Church Hall Project. Because it is bringing to, to life in so many ways that call from Jesus in the Gospels. Love one another as I have loved you. Because that love is at the heart of the gospel.
And surely people will question why we are doing these things. Wonder what motivates us. And in time, start to discover more about who Jesus is. Not through our preaching, although of course that is important, but through our love. May we not put barriers up in the way of people coming to know Jesus. Coming to know Jesus' love for us and Jesus' love for all of humanity. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Love one another as I have loved you, said Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.